Oh, man. All right, a little behind the scenes. One of my favorite things in making that film was in that moment when all of the bugs come in through the town. We filmed that, and I was hanging out with, with my buddy who's directing, so I'm just behind the, the camera, and it's all of our friends in the middle of this western town just doing this, but there's nothing there. It's hilarious. Anyway, so we still have that video without the bugs uh, put in, and it's really, really funny. Um, all right, so... We are looking at the story of Moses, the story of the Exodus scene, the character of God as it's displayed through the story of the Exodus. Yesterday, we looked at God's holiness. We looked at the fact that when God first introduces himself to Moses, the first thing he says is, do not come any closer. Moses, don't come any closer because I am holy and you are not. I am righteous and you are not. I am perfect and you are not. Moses obeys God, he approaches God with humility, and God sends him to free his people from captivity in Egypt. So he goes to Pharaoh, he says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? He says, no. He says, no. And so God begins to work these plagues, these incredible miracles to show his power. It's incredible miracles that show God's power. We're not going to go through all of them, but there are 10 of these plagues, right? And they're things like the water in the Nile River turning to blood, the cattle dying, a a plague of frogs, a plague of flies, um, of hail, all kinds of things, boils, all these things that, that happen to the Egyptians as a demonstration of God's power, of God's power and of his judgment. So as we continue our story here, looking at the attributes of God, the characteristics of God, who God is and how he shows himself to us, Last night we talked about holiness, but tonight, or this morning rather, we're going to talk about how God shows himself through the plagues on the Egyptians. And there are two major attributes, two major things about God that we see played out through these plagues. The first is we see God's power played out in the plagues. God's power played out. Um, You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read just a little bit from Exodus chapter 12. God ties this to the 10th plague, the plague that we actually haven't seen uh, play out in the videos yet, but we will see uh, tonight. And he says this, he says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt at night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And this is the part I want you to listen to this morning. And on all of the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, for I am the Lord. So in these plagues, God is demonstrating his power. He's demonstrating his power above the fake gods of Egypt. See, Egypt was this uh, polytheist, is what we would say, religion. The Egyptians had all of these different gods, all these different false gods that they worshiped. But the Bible tells us that there's only one true God, right? There's only one true ruling and reigning king of the universe. 
And so in the plagues, one of the things that God is communicating is that he is more powerful than those fake gods that the Egyptians worship. Some people go through and they look at how each of the plagues is God showing his power over a different one of the Egyptian gods. I'm not sure if it really breaks down that cleanly, but we know clearly because it's said there in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 12 that God in the plagues is demonstrating his power and his judgment, not just on the Egyptian people, but on these Egyptian gods. He is showing that he is the one with the power. So in the plagues, we see God's power played out, God's power displayed, but we also see another major attribute of God that it's important for us to understand in order for us to understand God and understand our place in relationship to him. And that other attribute of God that we see in the plagues is we see God's wrath. God's wrath. Now, wrath is an attribute of God that most of us, many of us at least, are probably at least a little uncomfortable with. We don't like to think of God as wrathful. Because that's not a word we use a lot, but when we do, we think it means the same thing as just like angry. So to say that God is wrathful makes us think that God has like an anger management problem. But that's not the case at all. See, another way to say that God is wrathful is to say that God is just. Another way to talk about God's wrath is to say God's justice. See, God is a God of love, absolutely. We're gonna talk about that at length tonight. But God is also a God who hates. What does he hate? He hates sin. Because in order for him to be a righteous and holy and perfect God, he must hate sin. If God is not wrathful, then he is not just. If God does not hate sin, then he is not just. And if he is not just, then he is not holy. If he is not holy and righteous and perfect, then he's not God. So God's wrath, his justice, his hatred of wickedness, his hatred of evil, his hatred of sin is so, so important. So when we say God's wrath, we're not talking about God's anger management issues. He doesn't have those. When we say God's wrath, what we're talking about is the fact that God is a righteous and just judge. And that he executes his judgment against all sin and evil and wickedness. And that's what we see playing out in the plagues. We see God's judgment, his righteous judgment against the wicked Egyptians and specifically against the evil king Pharaoh. Because here's the thing, you see, God's wrath is always justified. God's wrath is always justified. His judgment is always just. I want to show you the sin of Pharaoh, the sins of the Egyptians that God is judging through the plagues. If you want to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. 
What we see here in Exodus chapter 5 is Moses approaching Pharaoh. At this point, Moses has his brother Aaron with him. Um, And so Moses and Aaron are going to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. In the videos, Aaron hasn't shown up so much, but she will. She's a girl in the videos. Her name is Annie. You'll see her. But here in, in, in the Bible, in reality, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh together. And this is what they say. Listen, chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. God is asking that his people be let go, that they may go and they may worship God. Listen to Pharaoh's response. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So when Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and say, let God's people go that they may worship him, Pharaoh's response is, who is God that I should listen to him? Who is the Lord that you're talking about that he can tell me, Pharaoh, what to do? I don't know him. I don't follow him. I don't serve him. In the video, we put it really explicitly. When you hear Mo, or uh, what's his name? Roe, Phineas Roe, there it is, thank you. When you hear him say, I am God. Because ultimately, that's what Pharaoh said to Moses and Aaron. He said, who is this God? Who is the Lord that you're talking about? I don't know him. I'm the one in charge here. I don't know him and I will not obey. You see, Pharaoh's great sin wasn't just that he had enslaved God's people. It wasn't just that he had beaten and abused and killed them. All those things are horrific, but this is what puts Pharaoh's sin into clear contrast. This is what shows us very clearly what Pharaoh's root sin is. His sin is that he did not honor God as God. His sin is that instead of worshiping and following and obeying his creator, he wanted to worship and follow and obey himself. Pharaoh's sin was putting himself on God's throne. In Pharaoh's life, in the throne of his life, Pharaoh decided, I'm going to follow myself rather than God. I'm going to put myself on God's throne. I'm going to steal glory and honor that belongs to the king of the universe, and I'm going to give it to myself. And this is not something that a holy and righteous God can stand for. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 42. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. This is God in the book of Isaiah saying very clearly, 
I am the Lord. I am the King. I am the God of heaven and earth. I am the creator and sustainer of all things. And my glory, my honor, my praise, it is my own. God is a holy and righteous and beautiful and perfect and majestic God. And all glory and honor and praise belong to him. But what Pharaoh did is he stole glory that belonged to God. He gave it to himself by worshiping himself, by obeying himself rather than the God who rules and reigns over everything. That was Pharaoh's sin. That was what God judged through the plagues. And guys, that's your sin as well. That's my sin as well. Now, you and I might not be people who say, who is God? I'm God. We might not be people who say, who is God? I don't know him, and I don't want to listen to him anyway. But the reality is, even if we don't say that with our words, even if we don't even think it in those words in our head, every single one of us makes that decision to worship something other than God, to put something else in the place of God in our own lives, to steal glory that belongs to God and to give it to someone or something else. Easter was just a few days ago. And on Easter, some of you probably got one of the greatest candies that has ever been invented in the history of mankind. I'm, of course, talking about a Reese's egg. Yes. Now, I love... Reese's peanut butter cups, they're great. But on certain holidays, Easter being one of them, Christmas being the other, Reese's comes out with these slightly different Reese's candies. You get the Christmas tree at Christmas, you get the egg on Easter. They're shaped a little bit different. The Christmas tree sometimes looks like a turd, but it's okay, it's still delicious. And there's something different about them. I don't know what it is. I think there's more peanut butter in the the holiday ones than in a normal one, but there's something different about them and they're just better. They're just better. They're some of the best candies in the world. Some of you might've heard me tell this story before if you went to Wagon Train. But when I was a kid, I loved these, these Reese's eggs or these Reese's trees. And I remember one Christmas morning, I have, I have one sibling, an older sister. She's two years older than me. She's very much the, the oldest child, right? She's very much like, she's very organized. She always like, even when she was a kid, she would like keep a calendar for like the next month of things that were going on. She always did her homework on time. Her room was always clean. And I was not that. I was very much the little brother, right? And, uh, and that played out on Christmas morning when we went down and we would get our stockings. We'd have candy in them, right? I would be the one, I would just like grab the stocking by the toe and I would like shake it out and candy would fly all over the living room. And then I would go and I would eat it all like before 10 a.m. on Christmas morning. All my Christmas candy was gone and I was sick and it was worth it, right? But my sister, she would like eat one piece of candy and then she would put the rest, she put it, I remember so vividly, she put it in this shoebox. The shoebox was pink and black. I think it was from Limited 2. Anyway, she put it in the shoebox. She put her candy in the shoebox, so she would eat one piece, and then she'd have the shoebox of candy, and she put it on her bedside table. And she would just eat, like, one piece of candy a day for, like, the next two months, right? So you hit a point in, like, mid-January where my candy's been gone for three weeks, and my sister still has a half a shoebox full of candy, right? And I remember one... 
One morning, I, I, I would get up and I was walking to the living room because to go from my bedroom to the living room, I had to walk right by my sister's bedroom and her door was open and there on, on her bedside table was this hot pink and black shoebox that I knew had Christmas candy in it. And more than that, I didn't just know that there were like candy canes and, you know, dots or whatever in there. I knew that there were Reese's chocolate trees in that shoebox. All right, and so I'm faced with this temptation because on one hand, I know that it's wrong to steal my sister's candy. But on the other hand, I really want a Reese's chocolate tree. And so I'm faced with this temptation and this struggle and I decide, you know what? No, it, that's not right. I'm going to keep on, keep on going on with my day. And that was the first day. And then the next day, I woke up and I walked out of my room. And of course, my sister's always awake before me. And she's already out of her room. And, and her door's open. And what's on her bedside table? It's a hot pink and black shoebox. And inside is a Reese's chocolate tree. And I have this temptation. And it's grown. And I go, ooh, you know, I, I really, I, I know that it's not the right thing to do. I know that I should continue walking. And I should keep on going. I know that God would not want me to go eat my sister's Christmas candy. But on the other hand, there's a Reese's chocolate tree in there. And so the temptation grows a little bit, but I, but I still I keep my head down and I keep walking. And this happens day after day after day until one day I'm walking and I see that hot pink and black shoebox and I know there's still a chocolate tree in there. And at this point, it's been a month since I've had the delicious peanut buttery, chocolatey goodness of a chocolate tree. And I know that all I have to do is go in there and I can take it. She might not even know. She probably has like an inventory on an Excel, sheet, Excel spreadsheet of all the candy in there, but she might not know. She might not know if I take that Reese's chocolate tree. And once again, I go, you know what? I know what's wrong. I know I shouldn't steal from my sister. I know I shouldn't take things that belong to her. But on the other hand, Reese's chocolate tree. And eventually, I don't know how many days it took, but eventually I made the decision between those two things that I wanted. I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to follow and obey God, but I also wanted a Reese's chocolate tree that didn't belong to me. And eventually, I made the choice that that Reese's chocolate tree, that that little brick of peanut butter and sugar was more important to me than following and listening and obeying and glorifying the king of the universe. And so what did I do? I went into my sister's room. I unwrapped the tree. I ate it and I dispose of the evidence. And guys, I don't even know, I don't even know if I got in trouble. I don't remember if I ever got caught for that. But here's what I do know. In that moment, I did a whole lot more than just steal a little bit of candy. I committed treason against the king of the universe. I told the maker of heaven and earth, the God of my salvation, I told him, hey, you know what's more important than you? Chocolate and peanut butter. I took glory that belonged to God and I gave it to an unhealthy snack food. Guys, this is ridiculous. It sounds silly, but this is what sin is. There's no such thing as a small sin, no such thing as an insignificant sin, because every single time we disobey God, what we're doing is we're telling God, God, you don't know what you're talking about. God, you don't know what's best for me. God, I am not going to follow you. Instead, I'm going to follow myself. 
I'm not going to look at you seated on your throne, high and lifted up, and give you glory and honor and praise. I'm going to say, I'm the one who deserves to be on that throne. And your glory belongs to me now because I'm going to do what I want to do, not what you have told me to do. See, that's what Pharaoh did. And that's also what eight-year-old me did when I stole a candy from my sister. It's also what 30-year-old me does when I lose my temper with my sons. And it's also what you do when you sin. When you choose to do something other than what God has told you to do. When you choose to follow something instead of following God. I don't know what that thing is in your life. But I know that there is something in your life that you are tempted to serve instead of God. Maybe it's that thing we talked about yesterday, that thing that you define yourself by. Maybe the thing that you worship in your life is your popularity. You really want people to think that you're cool. You want people to, to want to know you. And you know that God tells you to tell the truth, to be honest, but your popularity is more important to you than obeying God. And so what do you do? You lie. You lie so that people will think you're cooler than you are, you're better than you are. Maybe, maybe that, that thing that you put on that throne in your life, maybe it's stuff. You really like stuff. You like clothes or you like video games or you like candy bars and you know that you're not supposed to take things that don't belong to you. But you're in the store, you see that thing that you want, you could never afford it and you realize I could just slip this in my pocket right now, I could walk out and no one would ever know. What you're doing is more than stealing a candy bar. It's more than, than stealing a video game. It's more than stealing you know, some article of clothing. What you're doing is you're stealing glory that belongs to God and you're giving it to clothes. You're saying, my life doesn't belong to him. My life belongs to this stuff. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's grades. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I don't know but you all have something or someone in your lives that you are tempted to put on God's throne in your life and in your heart and to worship instead of God, to obey instead of God, to follow instead of God. And ultimately what you're doing is you're putting yourself and your own desires and your own wants in God's place. You're saying, God, you are not the king of my life, I am. You're stealing something that belongs to the creator. You're giving it to yourself. And because of that, God is a just and righteous judge to give us his wrath. Just like he was for Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh said, who is God that I should obey him? And God poured out his wrath on him. And because I stole a Reese's chocolate tree, I deserve God's wrath. Because a holy God cannot overlook sin. A holy and righteous and just God cannot overlook when we sin against him. I'm going to read a little bit out of the book of Romans, and then I'll, I'll let you guys go this morning. This is this picture of sin. 
says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice, and they are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Jumping back to verse 18, it says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Listen to this part. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, that means worthless, in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be fools, they became, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Jumping down to verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. Guys, this is what sin is. It's when we worship the creature rather than the creator. So when we take something that isn't God and we make it God in our lives. When we worship something, when we live our lives in obedience to something, other than God, that's what we're doing. We're stealing glory that belongs to God and giving it to something else. And the Bible is very clear about the punishment for this. The Bible is very clear about what justice against our sin looks like. In Romans 6, 23, it says it clearly. It says that the wages of sin the payment for sin, what we deserve for our sin, what we deserve for obeying something other than God, what we deserve for worshiping something other than God, what we deserve for glorifying something with glory that belongs to God, what we deserve for that, the wages of sin is death. And I was talking about physical death, yes. You know, if you, if you read the Bible, it says that that through Adam, sin entered the world, and through sin, death entered the world, that because there is sin in our world, there's also physical death, there's disease, there's pain, there's suffering, there's sickness. All of those things come back to the fact that we live in this fallen, sinful world. But even more than that, when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, it's talking about spiritual death. That we were made for relationship with God. We were made to know and to love and to live a life with God. But because of our sin, we've been separated from him. Separated from the life we were created for. And that separation is death. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves from that punishment. Dead things cannot make themselves alive again. In Psalm 5.4, it says that God 
is not a God who can be in the presence of evil and wickedness. And that's a problem for us because every single one of us, by God's standard, we are evil and wicked. We have sinned against him. We cannot stand in the presence of a holy and righteous God because we are unrighteous. And it doesn't matter if you're in here, you're out on probation because you killed three people and you're in prison and then you killed another one in there and they gave you probation anyway. It doesn't matter if that's you and you have this horrible dark past of all of these terrible sins that you've done or even things that you're doing right now. Or if you're a kid who grew up in church and the worst thing you've ever done was like talk back to your mom. It doesn't matter. Either way, you're dead in your sin. Either way, you're deserving of the wrath of God. Either way, you've committed treason against the king of the universe and what you deserve is to be separated from him and under his wrath for all of eternity. But that's not the end of Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the same God who is holy, who is righteous, who is perfect, who is wrathful and just against sin, is also the God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us that we might not have the wrath that we deserve, but we might have the love that we have never, ever earned. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about that love. We're going to talk about that free gift of Jesus Christ tonight. But today, what I want you guys to think about is what's that thing in your life that you are tempted to worship and to serve rather than God? What's that thing in your life that you are tempted to obey instead of obeying God? For me, it was a sugar rush. What is it for you? What is it for you? What's the thing that you're tempted to obey rather than obey God? It's the sin that you struggle with. No matter how small it seems, I assure you, it is not. It is a sin that the wrath of God is justly against. But it's also a sin that the Son of God died on the cross for and rose again for. So think about those things. Pray about those things. Talk about them with your, with your counselors. Talk about them with your, your cabin mates. What are those things that you struggle with? Those things that you're tempted to put on the throne of your life instead of the God who made you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your justice. God, it is a good thing that you do not overlook wickedness. God, it's a good thing that you execute your judgment against wickedness and evil and unrighteousness. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be perfect. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be holy. God, I pray that we would all realize that we are unrighteous. That apart from you, we are in our sin. We are dead in our sin. God, I pray that we would realize that. We would realize our sin. That you would empower us by your spirit to fight against that sin. And God, ultimately that our powerlessness towards sin would drive us to the foot of your cross, that we might be made right with you, not by our own actions, but by your work. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.